And this morning's story is about Gideon. Hallelujah. Gideon and the Jehovah Shalom altar. So our third story, once again, finds Israel in a state of rebellion, backslidden against God and worshiping Baal. And they're in a terrible situation because the Midianites keep raiding and invading the land and pouring over the border. And uh, they destroy their crops, they destroy their homes, and they just practice a scorched earth policy against the Israelites. And so this has been going on for some time. And the people of Israel, many of them have left their homes and they're, the Bible said they're living in caves and holes in the ground and just it's a miserable state of affairs. And so at any rate, God hears them. They finally cry out to God. Uh, Baal's not doing much for them. So they remember, oh, our forefathers talked about the God of our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jehovah God, Yahweh. And so they cry out to God. And God sends an angel to go find a man named Gideon. This young man is up in the hill country, and he is, uh, he's found a wine vat, and he's hiding down in there, and he's threshing out a little grain to bring home some grain so that they can make some bread and have a little something to eat and uh, at the same time hide his activity from the Midianites. So God sends this angel and, and I want to read the account of it in Judges chapter 6 beginning in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree at Ophrah. So apparently this must have been a massive, very famous oak tree because it was known as the oak tree at Ophrah. And it was owned by Joash, the Abiezerite. He arrived, the angel arrived at Joash's son, Gideon's threshing floor when Gideon was threshing out wheat in a wine press so that he could hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. One edition says, the Lord is with you, courageous warrior. Gideon looks up at him and he says, pardon me, but if the Lord is with us, why has such disaster overtaken us? And where are all the miraculous deeds that our ancestors told us about? They said, did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord himself turned to Gideon and said, now once you understand, a man is under this oak tree, he's been sitting there, Gideon pops his head up out of the wine vat, and it's an angel, and he says, hail, mighty man of valor. The conversation's going on, but something different happened. And now the Lord is speaking directly to Gideon. Now, whether he's speaking through the mouth of the angel, it's not clear, but I would assume he probably is. And the angel under a very powerful anointing. Now, now Gideon has said, well, if God's with us, why has all this stuff happened? The Lord himself turned to Gideon and said, you have the strength. Deliver Israel from the power of the Midianites. 
have not I sent you? Gideon said to him, but Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Just look, my clan is the weakest in the tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my family. And the Lord said to him, ah, but I will be with you. I will strike down the whole Midianite army as though they were one man. Gideon said to him at this point, if you really are pleased with me, then give me a sign as proof that it really is you speaking to me. Now, let me pause for a moment. There's no indication that Gideon knew God. There's no indication that Gideon or his family even worshiped God. Israel as a nation had turned to Baal worship and had forgotten the Lord their God. So this is, this is a shocking experience for Gideon. And so the Bible goes on to say, Gideon says, if you really are pleased with me, give me a sign that it's really you speaking to me. Don't leave this place. Stay here until I come back with a gift and present it to you. The Lord said, I'll stay right here until you come back. I love that. Isn't that awesome? So Gideon's not convinced by the angel, and he's not sure about the, the Lord speaking to him um, until he goes into his house, he slays a lamb and makes some cakes, and he brings some food out to offer it as a gift to the angel. And the angel tells him to set it on this rock under the tree where they were gathered. And what happened next convinced Gideon that God was actually speaking to him. Let's pick up that narrative in Judges chapter 6, verse 21. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all that Gideon had brought. And the angel of the Lord then immediately disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was indeed the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Shalom, peace be to you. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. Now at this point, the angel's gone, but God is still speaking. And God says, Shalom, chill out, peace, relax. You will not die. And so Gideon immediately built an altar to the Lord there and named it Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. Whew. Hallelujah. God's peace slays Gideon's fears. Notice Gideon's first reaction. When he realizes it's God, he says, oh my God, I'm doomed. I'm doomed because I have talked to the Lord. I have seen him face to face. He's now thinking of the angel. This man who is talking to him, it must be God has come in flesh form. And he says, I'm doomed, I'm going to die. I want you to understand the reaction that Gideon's having. It is the natural reaction when anybody who's a sinner whose life isn't right with God, comes into direct contact with the light of God. 
Imagine, have you ever been in a situation where you have gotten into the presence of somebody and the anointing of God is all over that person? Or you've gotten to a situation where the presence of God is there and you kind of want to leave the room, you want to tiptoe, you don't want to approach, there's something in you that pulls you back, pulls you away. Somebody calls you up and says, hey, we're going to get together, we're going to pray, but you have just been terrible for three days and you don't want to run over there and pray. You'd rather go the other way. Something in us, when sin is, is on our conscience, makes us recoil at the presence of God. We retreat, we pull back. Do you remember Isaiah when he saw the Lord? When he saw the glory of the Lord, he said, oh my God, I'm a man of unclean lips. The first thing he thought of was his sin. Depart from me. Do you remember when Jesus of Nazareth walked into synagogues or in villages, people in whom demons were, they couldn't hold the feeling back. The demons would cry out, Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to torment us before our time? There is a natural recline, a pulling back. And that's exactly what Gideon was experiencing. He really didn't know God, but the presence of God was there. And so he naturally knew, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man. And I don't want to take too much of a side journey with this, but you know how God said to Adam, in the day that you sin, dying you will die. Death is brought on by sin. We die physically because we're sinners. Uh, the human race, God, we were built for eternal life, but we're not living eternally. Sin produces death, and it fills our emotions with a sentiment of death. And so that's exactly what happened to Gideon. And that, by the way, is what happens to us, even though we're saved and technically not sinners in the way that we were before, um, we're, we're sinners saved by grace, but when we're not right with God, there's that thing that doesn't want to go into the light is not a comfortable place to be. So he says, I'm doomed. God says, don't worry, you won't die. See, God knows exactly he knows exactly what Gideon's feeling. Don't worry, you won't die. Remember that the next time you come before the altar of the Lord. The next time you come before God, you know you need to repent. You know you need to get back into fellowship with the Lord. You've kind of drifted. You haven't been in fellowship. And there's that reluctance. Remember God speaking to Gideon because he is there speaking to you. Fear not, come near. Fear not, you will not die. Come just as you are. Billy Graham's tremendous ministry hinged and was based on that phrase, just as I am. That's why George Beverly Shea sang it at every altar call, just as I am, without one plea. Come, come just as you are, praise the Lord. So sin recoils at the presence of God, but in his willingness to believe and accept God's gift of peace, Gideon's fears dissolved into faith. Notice he gets up right away and erects this altar and he calls it God is peace. What happened to the dread? What happened to the fears? He, in that instant that he heard God say, fear not, you'll not die, his fears were dissolved because he accepted what God said to him. Let me move on to the next point. The next point is that every victory 
that God launches us into involves a battle, sometimes a battle for a long period of time. Sometimes the assignments God gives us can stretch over a lifetime, over weeks, months, or years. We can struggle, we can battle, we can be in that valley of conflict and warfare. But there's victory on the other side. God has ordained it. He knows the outcome. He's going to bring us through. But every victory that the Lord sends us out to begins with his peace. God never does anything reacting out of anxiety. The Lord never gets wigged out. He never gets freaked out. Satan does something. The Lord goes, oh my God, things have got really out of hand. I'm going to have to go raise up some of my people. God never reacts out of anything other than just total peace. He is at peace. His kingdom is unshakable. We sang it, unstoppable God, hallelujah. I would to God that those words would saturate into our minds. Unstoppable God lives in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When I believe it, when I embrace it, I am embraced by peace, the peace of God. Every victory God creates begins with peace. Now it took Gideon some time to actually lead in God's assignment Israel finally to that place of peace. They did arrive at that place of peace. They did drive out the Midianites. The Midianites had invaded the land at that time with 132,000 man army. That's a lot of guys. So here's a civilian population with no military, no militia. They are at the mercy of 132,000 pillaging, raping, burning, demon-possessed warriors. It's a miserable situation. So it takes some time, but it begins with God speaking peace into Gideon. Notice that God didn't marshal an army. God didn't raise a force. God didn't appear to a committee. He found one man, one person, and he gave him his peace. Hallelujah. He gave him his peace by telling him who he was. Mighty man of valor. Courageous warrior. Another uh, interpretation says hero of God. Hallelujah. Hail hero of God. Hail courageous warrior. He tells Gideon who he is. Gideon fights it, of course. At first, he's like, God, you must be wonderful, but you are certainly blind. You need glasses. So you can look at me. Look at our situation. But see, God is looking at you, and he is looking at your situation. He doesn't, it's not that he doesn't care. It doesn't move him. Because God doesn't have to see anything but himself. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So it takes Gideon some time to establish this peace in Israel. But he had to destroy the altars of Baal. He had to kill 132,000 Midianites. A lot of work. But that great victory had to begin with Gideon first receiving God's shalom in him before he could bring shalom to Israel, before he could bring peace to Israel, before the circumstances could be calmed down. God had to calm down Gideon. Can you say amen? 
Now, I'm not going to go into the story of Gideon, but you really should read it this week. It is marvelous. Begin in chapter 6 where we started today and just read what happened. Read how God worked with him. I'm sure you know the story about Gideon's 300. Gideon goes out after God says, I am with you, mighty man of valor. Uh, he, he places some fleece below, before the Lord. The Lord confirms that he really is with him. So Gideon is certain that God's with him. And he goes out and he manages to get 32,000 of his friends to take up arms and go fight the Midianites. So here's 32,000 guys following Gideon. Gideon goes back to God and says, I got some guys and we're ready to do this. God says, you got too many men. Got too many. And he has to send home 31,700. You need 300 men. That's all you need. And they're just there to hold the, hold the torches. Praise God. I don't, need that. I don't even need any fighters. They held the torches, and then they collected all the spoil after the Midianites killed themselves. And, and you read the story. It is a phenomenal, wonderful, wonderful story. But it's a story that exemplifies, not just here but throughout the Bible, how God only needs one person to believe what God has said about them, and to walk in it and praise the Lord. So that's, that's what Je the altar, Jehovah Shalom, that's how it came into be being. Let's break down the term Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah, Yahweh is another pronunciation, literally means I am. When God said to Moses, my name is I am, they pronounced it, they used the tetragrammaton, pulled out the vowels, and just used the uh, consonants, and they said, God's name is Yahweh, which means the Lord, or Jehovah, the Lord, I am. And then Shalom. Shalom is perhaps the most beautiful word in the Bible. It is a fabulous, phenomenal word. It is luxurious, brimming with layers and depths of meaning. But it's simply distilled down in our language into the one word peace. We don't have an idiom in the English language for shalom. There is no direct translation. So we just translate it peace. And we say the Lord is our peace. But it means so much more. The rich complex of meanings that are consolidated in the word shalom are broken down to the word peace. When God gave Gideon his peace or his shalom, what it meant was shalom meant to be safe and healthy in mind, body, and estate. To be completed. To be a friend. Shalom means to be a friend. God was saying, forget Baal, I'm your friend. Hallelujah and I take you as my friend. Shalom meant to be at peace, to chill, to rest, and to be restored. He's starving, he's trying to put a few morsels of food together, but God said, I'm gonna restore you. The land, everything, I'm gonna restore you, I'm gonna restore your family. Shalom means all of those things combined and put together. When the Lord gives you his shalom, when he gives you his peace, 
He is saying, I am your completeness, your friend. I am your rest, your peace, your restoration, your health of mind, body, and estate. And every time Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, he'd see his disciples. How did he first greet them? Shalom. The Jews today, how do they greet one? Shalom. It is a beautiful word. I think most people that say it don't really know what it means. But I'm telling you from the biblical standpoint what God meant when he said to Gideon, Shalom. When he said Shalom to Gideon, Gideon was like, wow. Now, if my friend next door, you know, if, if, if my buddy Reuben Leibowitz came over and said, said to me, Shalom. I wouldn't be that impressed because he doesn't have the power to do all those things. But if this is God and God is saying to me, Shalom, oh God, I'm doomed because I'm in sin. Chill out. My peace is going to change you. If you believe what I've just said to you, I will transform you with my peace, with my Shalom. Now, the first altar we studied was Abraham's altar, which was an altar of sacrifice. And then we studied David's altar last week, which is an altar of repentance. Both those altars involved offering sacrifices. This altar is different. There's no sacrifice. It's a monument. It is a monument, a declaration that stands as a declaration for acceptance and faith. Gideon got up after he accepted the Lord's shalom, the Lord's peace. He built a monument, a statement to the whole world, for the whole world to see. I accept that God is my peace. Hallelujah. He didn't just keep it in his mind. He didn't keep it in his heart. If I'm going to defeat the Midianites, if I'm going to receive an assignment from God that involves some public action, I am going to start by making this public declaration. God is peace. He is my peace. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So that Jehovah Shalom is a monument. It is a statement of acceptance and the faith that it produces. At the altar of Jehovah Shalom, when we accept and believe the person that God says we are, we receive his powerful assets of peace. Think of all the things that I mentioned that peace brings to you. When God gives you his peace, what, it seeps into every area of your life and affects how you live. It affects even your, your resources, your attitude. He went out after that point, Gideon, as a conquering general. Hallelujah. Not a man that says, well, Lord, if you're with us, where's all the miracles? Hallelujah. You know, Jesus, as he was preparing to leave his disciples, before he sent us out to, to face the great battles of faith that we would face and fight, he gave us his peace, specifically the comforter of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That is the shalom of God. That's the peace. Hallelujah. In John 14, 27, in that 14th chapter, Jesus has been talking all about the comfort. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will be with you. Hallelujah. And so he sums up at the end of the chapter, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give to you, not like the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He had spoken similar words many years before to Gideon. And now he says to the disciples, and by extension through them, he says to us, do not be afraid. I leave you my peace. I give you my peace. And when he said, not as the world gives, you think about that for a minute. How does the world give us peace? By arranging our circumstances in a particularly favorable way or just some way that we don't feel so claustrophobic or overwhelmed by them. And so we equate peace in the world with happiness. If I feel happy, I'm at peace. If I don't feel happy, I don't have any peace. But as a believer, as a child of God, we've had plenty of experiences through the years, haven't we, where we weren't happy at all with what was going on around us, but we had peace. Hallelujah. Because peace, listen to me now, praise God. Because when Jesus said, I'm leaving you my peace, I'm leaving you my own peace, he's not leaving them his feelings, he's leaving them his power. He's not talking about a condition of the mind, he's talking about the conditioner. So when Jesus says, I leave you peace, he's not saying, you know, we've spent time together, you got saved, and, and you feel peaceful. Uh, stay in that state of mind, I'll be back. He's not talking about a state of mind. He's saying, and he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Ghost, they received the Comforter. Peace is the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say, praise the Lord. My peace I leave with you, I give to you, not like the world gives. My peace lives within you. You are going to be unhappy a lot of the time. Jesus warned them. He said, if they persecuted you, they're going to persecute. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they said these things about me, they're going to say them about you. I warn you, they're going to call you up before tribunals, they're going to persecute you, some of you will be martyred. He told them, you're not gonna be happy a lot of the time, but I give and leave you my peace. You will knock down the enemy like it was just one man. Hallelujah. Like being in a fight with a midget. Could you not beat up a midget? Some of you, you know, some of you I'm looking at, some of you, your fighting days are behind you. Now, Personally, me, my fighting days are not behind me. I'm still as dangerous today as I was 50 years ago. That's, that's me. That's, that's just Because I choose to be that way. Praise the Lord. But still, I prefer to face a midget, little four-foot guy. You know, I don't want to lose a hand or a leg or, you know, break bones or whatever. Take on a midget. So God said to, God said to Gideon, 132,000, it's a midget. I'm going to put my peace in you and you will knock him down like one man. Like he's one man. <sighs> Glory to God. Well, today in the New Testament, we're not fighting Midianites. Come on, people. I hope you know we're not fighting people. We're not fighting LGBTQ people. We're not fighting Democrats. We're not fighting communists. The Bible says we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. I hope none of the, I hope that the, the people that, that have been deceived and 
co-opted by Satan and deluded by Satan, just like you were at one point, I hope that they're not your enemy. They're the people you need to save. They're the people you need to win with the love of God and bring them to Jesus. I can't find a way to bring that Marxist fool to Jesus. Yeah, but the Holy Spirit can. God loves him. Hallelujah. So we're, we're not fighting against human beings. Where is our warfare? What are we fighting against? We're fighting against the strategic, demonic uh, structures of thoughts, the lies of the enemy, and the demons that operate and empower them and use them to control people. We love people. We reach out to save people. We do our fighting on our face, on our knees. Hallelujah. In fact, when we go out with the gospel and the love of God and reach out, and, uh, and Jesus said, your, your brother slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek, and we walk in love and we tell him about Jesus, we're fighting a battle. We're saying, you don't have me, Satan. You can't have me, Satan. I have peace. I'm at peace. I don't have to fight Midianites. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So we are fighting in demonic spiritual warfare. All of you can bind demons and cast them out. Even though you're like Gideon, you can because you have the Lord's shalom. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. So I love, the, I love the fact that the ability of the Holy Spirit to work powerfully in you and in me and our life happens as we abide at that monument, Jehovah Shalom. Because Jehovah Shalom is there reminding us, the Lord says, Hail, mighty man of valor, I am with you. That's what the Jehovah Shalom altar was all about. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. That's why you have peace. God is with me. I, I, I wish I had the time. I don't really have the time to go through testimonies, but all of you have testimonies in your life. When as a young believer, you faced obstacles that seemed insurmountable and frightening, yet God put you in those situations like, like Peter and Jonathan before the Sanhedrin. Here were the men that had been the rulers that they had looked up to all their lives, now threatening to have them thrown in jail, telling them you need to be silenced about Jesus. And instead of quivering in their presence and being afraid, they were bold. And they said, well, guys, we don't mean any disrespect, but we can only speak what, what we have seen and heard. We are, we are bound to the truth. Hallelujah. And it says when they saw the courage, when they saw the bravery, when they saw the shalom, when they saw the peace, that they couldn't rattle those men's peace. The Bible says they said they've been with Jesus. Hallelujah. These guys have been with Jesus. You see, those great battles that you have fought, you've overcome, you did it because you were walking in the shalom of God. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. And the word guard means to be a sentry. The guards, the sentries, by night and by day, all around the wall of your life, who are those guards that spot the enemy coming, that stop him before he approaches, that protect the castle of your life? The peace. The peace, the shalom of God is beyond understanding, which means sometimes when we're in a battle, 
some of you who've been in fights and been kicked in the head or hit hard, I've been kicked in the head many times, hit hard, knocked out. So I've been in plenty of fights. I know what it's like to get hit and be disoriented and then have to come up and continue fighting. When you get disoriented, you take a hit, you're just kind of like, oh my God, I hope this person doesn't jump on me and start breaking bones while, until I can pull myself together. You're a little disoriented. You're not at your best. You can't grab a bunch of thoughts. But the Bible says the peace of God's beyond understanding, which means you don't have to have a lot of understanding about what's going on. When you face the trials and they, they come in like a flood and you're like, oh, my bills, oh, my God, my kids, oh, my grandkids, oh, my wife, oh, my job, oh, my situation, and your mind is just going from one thing to the next, what am I going to do? Oh, oh my, you, you, you don't have a handle on things. Doesn't matter. Peace has a handle on things. The peace of God that goes beyond understanding. Somebody say praise the Lord. Praise Hallelujah. The Lord. Some of you are looking at me like, you got knocked out? It explains a few things. Another scripture in Colossians 3.15. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. So while the peace that Paul speaks about to the Philippians talks about guard your life, guard your heart. He says, now let the peace that Jesus gives you rule your heart. And that word rule, we, we have a word for it in the English language. It's umpire. The umpire calls the shots. The umpire settles the controversies. The umpire sees what really went on. Everybody in the stands is arguing. They're all fussing. He's safe. He's out. He's safe. He's out. The umpire says, He's safe. And the argument's over. Now, the people in the stands cannot like the call. They cannot agree with it. But peace calls it like it is. The Holy Ghost always speaks the truth. And if you let the Holy Spirit tell you what God is saying, Hail, mighty man of valor. That's the truth. If you go with that, you go with that call, you're letting the peace of God umpire your hearts. When you're faced with trials and challenges, listen to what God is saying. He is reminding you who you are. You're trying to get him to talk about where's the money going to come from. You're trying to get him to talk about, well, when is this trial going to end? Or what are we going to do about this situation? But he is there not bringing up anything about the circumstance. He's talking to you about who you are. He says, hail, mighty man of valor, you will deliver your household, as though it was just one midget. Hallelujah. I hope no little people see this and get offended, but at any rate. We live in a very offensive time. People get offended over everything. So. And I'm not very woke, so we may offend somebody. Umpire. Peace will umpire your heart. That's where God wants you and I to run to, the the monument of Jehovah Shalom. I want to close with this thought this morning and then we're going to pray. Notice that all of these altar stories involve God relating with one person. I don't know if you've picked it up. The altar of Abraham, the altar of David, the altar of Gideon. God had millions of people. He went 
not one person. All these altars were built around God and one person because God is the God of individuals. Catch what I'm saying to you this morning. God does not relate with groups as much as he relates with individuals through whom he will affect the groups. God is a God of individuals. God gives his peace not to groups, but to individuals. You don't receive his peace because you've joined the right group or you're going to the right church. A lot of Christians try that, and it's why they backslide. It's why they can't get any traction with God, is they think that if I get with the right group, then I'll, I can feel peace because I'm with God. If I'm with them, then I'm with God because they're with God. But God doesn't work like that. God's God of the individual. And if you practice that kind of group mentality, we're with the white group, we're with the black group, we're with the male group, we're with the female group, we're with the Christian group. If you practice that group identity mentality, you are only going to fall deeper and deeper into confusion over who you are. You'll never hear God by trying to associate with a group because God is a God of the individual. He gives his shalom not to groups, but to individuals who impact groups. Can you say amen? Amen. So don't ever settle for being part of a group that follows God when you can be the individual God's talking to. In Psalm 103 verse 7, it says, God made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. The huge group, the children of Israel, they saw the acts of God. They saw what God could do. But who did God talk to? Moses. Moses knew God's ways. He knew what God was thinking when he did those things. Groups always see what is there in general. But the Lord wants to give you his shalom. He wants you to be his friend. He wants to treat you as his friend and put his peace in your life. Gideon received God's phenomenal shalom because he decided to accept and believe that he was the man that God told him that he was. So as we prepare to respond to the Lord this morning, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today about who you are. Accept your identity and you'll fulfill your assignment. Close your Bible. And join me down around this altar. We're going to pray and renew our hearts, renew our faith that God is going to help our brothers and sisters and perhaps you're represented here on, in these cards that are upon this altar. Come everyone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.